Danny Elfman for the intro there, and shout out to Shirley Walker, who is the composer to most of all the music on Batman the Animated Series, which is the television series we will be discussing this month on The Rewatch. You will be getting a little double intro as this is a live recorded lecture and screening series taking place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We are currently screening at Moore College of Art and Design, Sundays in October 2017. Today we are discussing episodes from Season 1 of Batman the Animated Series airing in 1992. Two-Face Parts 1 and 2, written by Alan Burnett and directed by Kevin Altieri, and Joker's Favor, written by Paul Dini and directed by Boyd Kirkland. So now let's take you into the recording where I explain more of the rules to everyone and happy listening. The Friday version of swearing, which is like, what the funk? I promise I won't swear all the time. What the funk? Okay, everyone. Hi, welcome to Batman the Animated Series Rewatch. And we just screened two episodes, which is the Two Face Two Parter and uh, Joker's Favor, and now we're gonna go through each of those episodes and break down, what we do in the round table is break it down by topic. So we're gonna talk about animation, voice acting, costumes, uh, we're gonna talk about uh, psychology, feminism, and... Duality. Duality, of course. Duality. I'm always like missing, they're all very important, the most important things. <laughs> and my name is Beth Heinley. I am the moderator of this event, which means throughout uh, this recording, I'm going to be the one that goes, shh, you're done. You know, uh, 15 minutes is up. So, because we're going to try to, you know, get in on the topics. Uh, and, and also, we're going to try not to curse either. Which we have is a, a We have a few a potty mouths. It's a huge on, problem. Um, but, you know, we're just, just see it as how passionate of Batman fans we are. Um, maybe the Frank Miller, um, variation. Fox. Fox, yeah. <laughs> um, Standards so, and practices. And without further ado, I want to, like, go through the panel. I'm going to have everyone intro themselves. And when you introduce yourselves, uh, uh, I would like you also, this is a pairing with a lecture series, so we also just listened to a lecture on, um, psychology and Batman. And that was led by Anne Cornell, who will be starting off here. Now, Anne, when you introduce yourself too today, I would like you to add your Batman the Animated Series uh, origin story. We're doing origin stories this, oh, this okay. week. As in how I was, my introduction to Batman the Animated Series or my origin story as a human being in general? <laughs> Uh, we don't got time for your, for that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, yeah, it's going to take a while. But yeah. yeah, your origin story to Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. All right. So, okay. I don't know if I should turn this towards myself. Okay, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, Cornell today, yes. yes, I will be discussing uh, voice acting that is taking place in these three episodes. And my origin story for Batman was basically um, everybody voted that they really wanted to start this kind of <laughs> Batman the Animated Series, so I started watching it to uh, participate in this rewatch. And I was um, honestly pleasantly surprised. It's an interesting series. It was something that, for whatever reason, I had not really been aware of in my childhood or watched a lot of. So as an adult, uh, Taking part in the series as a viewer is a very interesting uh, perspective, and I I think it's interesting to bring an adult perspective because there's some things which are maybe a little bit weaker, a little bit stronger. It's kind of episodical depending on how strong the episode is, 
but it is surprising how um, adult some of the themes can be and how uh, the themes just really resonate with somebody who's <laughs> a more grown-up viewer than maybe the Cartoon Network approved of. So, yes, and... Yeah. Tell <laughs> us about yourself. Tell us about myself. Okay, you. yes, I'm sorry, yes. Yeah, so I am an individual who is, this is my third um, rewatch that I've participated in. Beth has uh, kind of, you know, been our leader throughout Buffy and Battlestar Galactica. So, Yay. yes. This hey, is Red my third, Yes. <laughs> Yes, this is my third rewatch with you guys, which I really love. Um, I am literally an Academy, well, not an Academy, but an award-nominated nerd. James and I <laughs> have a podcast, uh, not nearly nerd enough, and it was nominated for the Billy Geek Award about maybe a year ago now, two years ago now. Yes, I know how time flies, but yes, yeah, so I, I've got some legit nerd cred right here, and... <laughs> Um, I really enjoy these rewatches and taking a dive into these episodes. And outside of this, I actually am a, probably the sole non-Philadelphia resident who is a part of these uh, rewatches. And I work as an editor who uh, deals with suburban newspapers. So that's my. <laughs> yes. Thank you for having me. Okay, next, Derek Jones. Hi, everybody. My name is Derek Jones. I am uh, a professed history nerd. Uh, you know, pseudo-intellectual reader. My story with Batman kind of starts with going to see the Tim Burton uh, Batman movies as a kid and becoming fairly obsessed. And then when the cartoon show came out, I started watching the cartoon show, which then led me into the comics. So then I became a lifelong Batman comic reader and fan. That's kind of how I came to this. This is my second time participating in a rewatch roundtable lecture series on a TV show. My first was Battlestar Galactica. Really excited to be here. Um, I co-host a podcast as well with my lovely fiance, Laurel, called The Midnight Myth. Yeah. So good. And uh, we discuss uh, philosophical and historical roots in storytelling, trying to examine the origin of the perfect story, if it so exists. And if it does, it probably involves Batman. Anyway, uh, yeah. Happy to be here. Oh, and Derek, tell us about your lecture next week. Uh, my lecture next week is exploring themes. Uh, um, I'm two weeks from now, I thought. Or my next week? No, you're next week. No. I'm next oh, April's week. Okay. Oh, wait, April's next week. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. My, uh, my lecture so explores um, uh, visual and thematic themes of Orientalism in Batman the Animated Series and how it uh, flips duality from a theme of, of good versus evil to a theme of East versus West in the episode The Demon's Quest. Yeah, I'm a nerd. <laughs> Hi. Uh, uh, so thank you, Derek. Thank you. Um, so uh, my name is Beth Heinley. I uh, am the moderator of this event. I'm not doing a lecture this round. Uh, you know, I'm just nice like that and just, <laughs> you know, volunteered that up. But in any case, uh, my Batman origin story, uh, I too was a huge Tim Burton fan when I was like, you know, I guess Batman came out, I was like nine or eight. Seems about right. Yeah. yeah and right. I was like, whoa, this is so cool. And also just anything Tim Burton, I was like really into him. And uh, so when the animated series came out, uh, that's what got me interested in Batman to begin with. Also, you know, got to give some cred to the Animaniacs, which came on before Batman. I was, I was definitely the targeted audience. I was like 12 years old at the time. And it was after school uh, TV viewing, and Batman came in 
he was on like later because it was a little bit more adult. But uh, I went into it thinking like, oh, Animaniacs is over. Oh, and here's this boy show. <laughs> and but then I was like, whoa, this is dark. And and I was really into psychology of it. I know I was only twelve, but I was dark <laughs> like that. And uh, that's what kept me watching the series. And I guess a little bio background about myself. I am a comic artist myself, and also I do cosplay. Today I'm cosplaying as Red Claw. And it is amazing. Yeah, you can't see it. Also, Derek didn't know who I was. <laughs> Derek dropped the ball. Like, really? I think he called me Catwoman. Uh, you don't know who Red Claw is. Yeah. But you didn't have to do the rewatch so you can do yeah. a lecture. <laughs> Derek dropped the ball. Bumbleitis. Bumble Red Claw is a straight-up terrorist on on Batman the Animated Series. Definitely, you should check her out. Uh, she's badass. Uh, and any case, um, uh, so anyway, that's who I'm cosplaying as today. Uh, and I also do performance art, and I make art objects too sometimes for like art shows and white gallery spaces. So uh, onwards to April. April. Yeah, that was my show. Bye. I am April Aguilard. I um, am probably the oldest person on this panel, which means my Batman origin story begins in 1966 by way of 1979. Um, I have a brother who's like three years older than me. He was into comic books, and whatever was left around in our household is what I read. So it was a lot of DC comics, um, a lot of Marvel comics, a lot of Conan some inappropriate things for like a four to five year old kid. Uh, but as time grew on and, and I grew up, I, I discovered things that I liked on my own. And at a time, like girls weren't supposed to be into comics. And it was like a girl walked into a comic book shor uh, shop or store or whatever. And it was like a, a stigma that was associated with that. So for me to sit here on this panel right now is just like an amazing experience to see so many females and female-identified people here um, celebrating such an amazing show. Because when this show came out, I was in my first year of university. So being a certain age, you're able to pick up on the nuances in this so-called like kids' show. And to see that kind of complexity in a kids' show that didn't speak down to the viewer is a revelation in and of itself. Um, and just to be here and talk about it uh, is, is like I'm over the moon about doing this um, series. I'm so glad you guys are here to experience this with us. Um, next week, I will be doing my lecture on Twisted Justice, um, Batman versus Catwoman. Yes. So if you are in the area, please come by for that one. It's going to be a hoot and a holler. <laughs> um. I'm John McCabe. Um, I have a degree in film theory, and I have another degree in queer literature, which means I can do this. <laughs> yes. Um, and you know, I mean, Batman for me. I, I remember watching Batman when I was, God, five or six. Adam West was on TV, and um, you know, for the like the eighth rerun time. 
And I have this very specific memory. Like, I never ate vegetables when I was a kid, which is funny because now I'm a vegetarian. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I remember my, my brother, my older brother, opened this can of vegetarian vegetable soup and said, you know, like, here, eat this when I was a little kid because he was supposed to, eat, you know, make breakfast or lunch or whatever. And I didn't want to eat it. And he said, you know, Batman. <laughs> and I, I, I just wolfed it down, except for this one piece of, of what I now know is okra. <laughs> but I saw it as a kid, and it was horrifying because it looked all weird. And I just looked at it, and he's like, Batman wouldn't eat that. <laughs> it's because okra is oh, the joker of the vegetable universe. Exactly. Batman's self-protective, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Um, my lecture will be in the fourth and final week. I will be talking about film theory, uh, specifically television theory, actually, and um, late season movie tools, which, if, you, if you're familiar with the fourth volume of Batman the Animated Series, is actually very different from what we saw today and from anything that came before it. So I'm excited about that. Cool. Thank you, John. Okay, so now into the episodes uh, and the topics. So basically, I'm just going to go through my list as I have it written down here. Um, and again, just you know, reiterate here, the episodes we're talking about are the uh, two-face, two-parter, which is kind of the origin story of Harvey Dent's um, character, and Joker's Favor, which is a Joker-centric episode um, that is also, and both of these are in season one. So uh, we're going to start it off with Derek, who's, yeah, your homework assignment was animation and discussing animation within these two episodes. Okay. Well, I guess I will take it over from here. Okay. Um, should I, I'll hold the mic. Yeah, you can do it that way. So uh, some things that I learned in researching this episode, uh, I will qualify this that I'm not an animator, nor am I a drawer or an artist in any way. Um, it was interesting to learn how much of Batman the Animated Series was outsourced. So the way the show was created was uh, it was storyboarded, it was written, they had these ideas, uh, and then an animation firm overseas to save money, uh, they would send the, what they wanted to do, and then it would be animated. So I thought that was interesting, and when you look at the episodes while you see some I guess subtle inconsistencies, that's part of the reason, was that it wasn't always the same people animating it, which I thought was also kind of comparatively to today, now that we have computer animation, that's not really a cost-saving thing that we would do is to outsource it because you can use a computer to digitally model, model it, so that was interesting. Um, the other thing I thought primarily was how it used lighting, in particular for uh, the Two-Face episode. Um, if you look at all of the faces in the Two-Face episode, every single face has a shadow over it at some point. Most of the time where we see Harvey pre-Two-Face, his shadow is covering half of his face, whereas everybody else, the shadow is covering a quarter of its face. <clears throat> it doesn't really pay any attention to the lighting, meaning there isn't really a correlation between where we see the animated light versus where we see the shadow. Um, it's really kind of de designed, in my view, to show that Harvey has this split personality right from the beginning. Um, the other things that I thought were interesting, because it's all hand-drawn, it focuses in on micro-moments, smaller moments. It's really hard to animate, from what I've read, uh, big things when you've hand-drawn them. So it's really hard to do a big battle scene when you're hand-drawing it. 
but it's a little easier to focus in on a face. So we see the Joker's face, we see Harvey's face all the time, and in particular with Harvey Dent, we see the bubbling of his split personality. Constantly there, we see sweat, we see his one eye that becomes his um, two-faced eye start to like grow a little bit as he becomes more and more bad Harvey, and they always juxtapose his transition to the flip of the coin. Which I'm not 100% certain, but I think they reuse the same flip you know, over and over again, which I think also is to save money, but also to show to me symbolically how his pattern will just replicate over and over again. It's always about the flip. Now, when we think of Shadow, we juxtapose Harvey to Batman, who Batman's main weapon is darkness, is Shadow. Um, even when we see Bruce Wayne, typically the shadows are under his eyes and down the sides of his face, almost like it's drawing the uh, Batman mask, as opposed to being split like it is with Harvey. And uh, then when we see Batman actually as Batman, not as Bruce Wayne, we see him as a moving physical shadow with white eyes, predominantly. Um, we also see in the lightning scene that is very dark, it's very blue, the lightning hits, and it becomes this weird mix of black and white and gray. Almost like we see that Batman has a more complex uh, moral and you know, moral drive than Harvey, who has become simply about the flip of the coin and about vengeance. And um, we juxtapose that to the Joker, which I, I don't know what you guys think, but I kind of feel like the animation in Joker's favor is not as good. Um, I feel like it, it's much more about the voice acting in that one than it is about how beautiful it is, where Harvey's story is so visual. Um, other basic things about the series, uh, the animators called it uh, Dark Deco to <laughs> reference its Art Deco uh, style with, a, with darkness. They very much wanted to recapture the Tim Burton-esque feel of the Tim Burton Batman movies. Um, other fun facts that I learned, the Penguin, they actually went and drew um, Danny DeVito uh, to make yeah, the Penguin exactly. look like the Penguin. Um, so they really wanted to have this sort of I don't know, this sort of bizarre feel of like very artistic, very futuristic, and very past all happening simultaneously. Uh, to me, the scene that I think nails it the best is Batman's dream in the Two-Face one, where Gotham, which is such an active and almost passive at the same time character, um, we feel that Gotham is the place that shapes, <clears throat> shapes and forms all of the heroes and villains. But when we look at Batman's dream, Gotham itself becomes distorted, it becomes curved. Um, as Batman's trying to manifest his guilt over his parents, as it's linked to the guilt of losing Harvey Dent to darkness. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is smoked a cigar at a wedding. <laughs> it was a mistake. <laughs> Hurts the voice. Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of interesting things that a lay person wanting to learn a little more about animation can pick up. Um, one, the economics of animation is very fascinating that to save money you would pay another firm and pay different firms based upon who you think captures the story best and gives you the best deal. And B, the sort of overall style and uh, dark deco that they're going with there. That's what I got. Cool. Also, um, just to uh, clarify, the creators, the storyboarders were primarily Bruce Tim and Eric Radomski. Who is the other person? Sorry. I think like James Stewart came like way after. Oh, okay. But um, and also stylistically, it was 
kind it was a callback to Fleischer's Superman, yeah, yeah, which is like a yeah, Max, cartoon. Max, but yeah, right. I feel like at the character design. Also, Warner like Brothers. Uh, it was a Warner Brothers guy, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't remember who. Oh, other interesting what? things. Yeah. Fox put parameters. There could be no fire oh, yeah. or blood. Or there was totally, there was totally fire all the time. But, but no villain could, <laughs> no villain could fire. start a fire. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like yeah. there could, it could, yeah, okay. yeah a villain could not always, have a fire-based gimmick, yeah. for lack of better term. There was always this conflict between what the studio believed to be proper moral storytelling versus what the artists wanted to do, which was to tell a darker, more grittier narrative mm-hmm. in keeping with a Burton-esque feel and style. And I thought that also plays into the economics of it because the studio's like, hey, we want to sell toys, we want to sell commercials, we want to get everybody to watch Batman. If you go too dark, parents are going to self-censor versus the artist saying, well, Batman is dark and Batman mm-hmm. is insane. So we definitely need to embrace that and that sort of conflict there. So like a really good way that they dealt with this is when Harvey Dent presumably kills everybody in the... Um, is robbery of the uh, the bookmakers. You know, he walks in and says, you know, in case Rupert Thorne wants to know, tell him I got a message. He starts shooting down, right? And then he points up. So as you see him shoot down, well, what's he shooting? What's he doing? He's slaughtering everybody in there. But they don't want to show that, so then they show him point up and shoot the TVs, and then they show the TVs explode, which I thought was a beautiful way to kind of like subtly show the violence and badness that Har- Harvey's been in, versus uh, the sort of moral confines to not show that horrific violence. And I thought they found this really interesting compromise yeah. there. Well, that yeah. harkens okay. back to the Hayes Code of the 1930s, which that pastiche comes from, that you see in the Tim Burton um, Batman films, and you see, like, straight up in an animated series. It's like, um, or in, like just we can go as far back as 1960-something where, when Psycho came out. The whole thing that made Psycho like super duper scary is like you never really see the actual stabbing. It's just that you, you have Janet Leigh in that, that shower, her face and screaming and a shadow of the knife just coming down. But you never see until you get to the drain and the blood is kind of yeah. like mixing and the in. animators constantly reference Hitchcock. They films. Oh, yeah. so like, much so, yep. that's like yep. so much Hitchcock, so much Dashiell yep. Hammett. Yeah. And that's what I love about because I am I like I love 1930s like I'm gonna get more into that like next week though <laughs> okay that's like a, a huge so all right I know. have to moderate all yeah. right let's go foreshadowing next uh, we have actually April's your, your duality oh jeez we'll right? I got like the cakewalk this week yeah, with the <laughs> <show>. yeah duality <laughs> is pretty easy to point out um, <laughs> for, I mean like, did for you the, see the episode yeah <laughs> it's uh, I mean it's not it's not so easy with the, the Joker one but like as I was watching it and. You know, while you were shushing us, um, Ann and I were having our own like, like sidebar. You were talking like, like, we, we, like yeah. constantly ruining, yeah. ruining uh, it for me. Well, you totally sorry. watched it like last night. Obviously, I, this is um, like the sixth time I've watched it. I don't care. <laughs> um, so I'm watching it, um, and immediately the opening sequence um, with Harvey and his like kind of Freddy Krueger um, nightmare. Um, all of the foreshadowing in, in this episode, um, it starts off a little subtle and then it becomes like super duper overt to the point where you're like getting hit over the head with this foreshadowing. Um, I can like I've got like an 
like two pages of my like um, handbook of um, just like these uh, dualistic um, moments, but um, I'll try to pare them down a little bit. Um, as far as uh, when we get to the point, the, the point where um, Rupert Thorne's like, I, I need some dirt on this guy. And um, he, he says specifically, uh, the, the brighter the picture, the darker the negative. Yeah. And we yeah. get like a huge like visual of that very foreshadowing moment that he mentions in this episode. Um, I think the key for me, like I said, I've got like a whole bunch of stuff, but I'm like going to try to keep this short and sweet, mm-hmm. is that um, when we have Batman's, um, his dream sequence that Derek mentioned earlier, how distorted Gotham... Harvey is Bruce Wayne's friend, but in his dream, Batman is Batman. He's not Bruce Wayne because that's how he sees himself. Yeah. And I think that is like the biggest like pointer arrow that you can get of exactly Batman's psychology. I mean, everything with Harvey at this point is just is very is is obvious is out there is so Batman no has duality issues. Batman like, has serious duality. Yeah issues and I think um this particular sequence is indicative of those issues that he has with duality which harkens back to the Bruce Tim universe um I mean I'm sorry the, uh, Tim, Burton Tim Burton, Burton yeah. Yeah. I'm all about Bruce Tim like Bruce Tim is like one of my favorites uh, of all yeah. time um and there's like in, in Batman Returns mm-hmm. where he and Selena are dancing and they oh, talk about yeah. issues of, of duality mm-hmm. and it's like and I will also so get into this. Because Selena's like on it. She knows what she's doing. Come back next week yeah. and we will totally <laughs> talk about this. Yeah. But right. this is like kind of a precursor um, to the whole like conversation mm-hmm. of Batman how like screwed up Batman is. Mm-hmm. And you know even in layman's terms and it's, it's, I'm not downplaying anyone's mental anguish or anything like that, but Batman, and I think that's what makes him very interesting as a comic book character, because I refuse to call him a superhero because he's not. He's a vigilante. Mm-hmm. Batman is a criminal, and that's what I get into in my um, lecture next week. But it's it's that, and like the whole thing where like Commissioner Gordon's being exalted um, for his, his, you know, stance on crime and his, you know, whatever it was, it, which was like a plot point, whatever. Um, and he's like, oh, no, Batman should be getting credit. It's like, no, because Batman o- operates outside of the law. And it's easy to do that and not have the law be relevant. And I think that's dualistic in and of itself in terms of you have someone who puts out this space where he's um, an upstanding citizen, but his night job, he's, he's a criminal himself. So I think that's a huge theme in this particular series. And I think it gets the character right in those terms. There's this great moment in this, in this, I guess, second part of the episode that... Of the Two-Face? Of the Two-Face episode that I I actually hadn't even noticed before. Um, You know, Bruce Wayne is is a mask for Batman. Batman in this series is the true persona, I think. And when they're talking about Harvey's scars and how how the scars like that there's going to be a plastic surgeon in for the scars. Bruce is, is speaking in his Bruce Wayne voice. 
which is kind of a hey, put on. Hi, I'm Bruce Wayne. Wayne. He's all nice. But and then and then the doctor says, you know, there's a plastic surgeon coming in for the scars, and Bruce says, I'm more worried about the mental scars, or it's the mental scars that I'm more worried about, or something like that. He slips into his true persona, mm-hmm. and you can hear it in his voice. It's that you know duality, like. He's really emotional about this person that he can. That yeah. He <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at Anne for the segue into yeah. voice acting. Well, there you go. Uh, voice there you go. But I'll yeah. shut up. You do it. Really? Well, yeah. I just have one well, thing. Like one more. One more. Duality. One more. Um, yeah. Just because I didn't address the Joker's favor, because there's not yeah. like a whole lot of duality. But the, well, the, there's the the start. The, basic I mean, the, guy. Yeah. And the Joker's. The ba- and it, it, it is. It's everyday Gotham versus we're a Gotham. And yes. that's the, like one of the few moments in the show that yeah, we get that. a convergence of those two worlds. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I did. I get under fifteen minutes. No, you still have four minutes left. Actually, yeah. Yeah. on yeah. your you topic. Okay. But no, that is like you were like I only have one thing for the Joker's favor, and it's like the most amazing thing. So yeah. thank you. That was good. All right, so Anne for voice acting. All right, yeah, I've got actually sorry um, three parts here because I'm sorry I didn't realize really? like I thought Batman. Thank you. Or, uh, Origins. I'll actually add that my initial introduction was the 1960s series, and my aunt loved it. Introduced it to my brother and my sister and I. My brother loved it, so I saw that's probably my primary and most intense introduction to it. Seeing all the Batman episodes of the Batman movie, which for whatever reason, the one moment I can remember is like him flying his bat plane over a beach and like all those <laughs> See, like <laughs> I was definitely like seven or eight and saw that and was like. This no, I yeah, cannot watch. This I show. know that was the just 60s, that but rest in peace, Adam West. Yeah, right. most of all because Lee Merriweather was the Catwoman, and she's the worst. Oh, she, oh okay. <laughs> that, Miss America. Oh. oh my goodness, yeah, it got real. I yeah. know. I'm like, I, I have serious problems. Yeah, because right right yeah. All right, go ahead. All right, voice acting. Voice acting. Yes. Okay, sorry. That was <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Keep us on track, moderator. That's what you got to do. Okay. Okay, so moderator. yes, voice acting, which obviously, so I'm going to start macro and go down to micro with this episode here, because I think voice acting in society as a whole is kind of an underappreciated art. Here, here. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but yes, it is. <laughs> Anne's going to take all the credit. I am. Oh, my God. Anne invented the internet. Yeah, I I know. It's like the hidden thing. It's like, yeah, you don't don't get a lot of credit, but we give you a lot of money. They make thousands of dollars. I should say, on this show, though, the voice acting was by contract, so they actually didn't have steady jobs. So Mm -hmm. it was actually kind of, like, really, you know. And also, I'm not sure exactly how the contract, I don't know. I'm what not, they yeah. make as far as royalties, either. But I think it changed. Sure. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah, a lot of times, sometimes like the talent gets screwed. Seriously, out when is Kevin Conroy going to do some audiobooks? Because I would so get on that. that I, wish he would do I wish he would do erotic. No, didn't I searched and he has not done. I wish he would do erotica. Like, That's could you imagine? Yeah. By the way, Kevin Conroy's voice of Batman. Me. Sorry, everyone. Yes. Okay, so, he's the real Batman. Sorry, Ben Affleck. Batfleck. Backlog. Backlog, yeah. Okay. Well, as right. bad as I anticipated. That's a whole other round table there. But, um, Wait, yes. what? 
Oh God! Did you say it wasn't as bad? I didn't think it was as bad. Neither do I. I okay. think I think he was great oh, as Batman. Actually pretty, he's, he's actually like, pretty he good. Looks, yeah. He also yeah. looks like Batman in the animated I series. I think he was Batman at that point in what yeah. they're We're devolving though. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. All right. <laughs> yes, All right. I'm sorry. Get the train back on the track. Voice acting. You make a lot of money, but nobody knows how you do it. Your problems probably think you're a cocaine dealer or whatever. You know, so cocaine. What is happening? <laughs> I don't know. It's been a long day. It's been a long week. So that's my excuse for this. I apologize. But yes, voice acting, um, which gives people a lot more freedom, and I think which is why it's such an attractive art for some people, even though it's appreciated, I think, in a more artistic world than, I guess, you know, society at large in general, pop culture. The Emmys are a thing. The Oscars are a thing. Nobody cares about, you know, voice acting awards. But they're a thing. And uh, I know it's been credited, uh, Neil Gaiman, when he did Neverwhere. And I think there was a shooting series that they did for that. And he was not impressed with it. It's a very fantastical book. And you're limited when it's a visual medium by, uh, you know, just the capability of what you have and by your budget sometimes. So I don't think he was pleased with it. They did a radio play of it. I at least publicly came out in favor of it, which was great. Um, my co-host James and I love the series Cabin Pressure, which is available on iTunes. You should totally watch it or listen to it. God, yeah, <laughs> listen to it. This is every, and watch it free. in your imagination. And watch it in your imagination, exactly. Yes. <laughs> I was in the pictures in my mind. Yes, okay. I really do. It's funny because I've listened to it with other people, and they say like I have it exactly. Like I know what the characters look like. I know what the set looks like. Yep. But uh, it's a series that takes place on a charter uh, airline, and the uh, creator and writer of the series has described the freedom that you get from being a radio show, where you don't necessarily have to worry about budget, about logistics, and one of the examples he uses was when he had a rugby team that was being you know, traveled by the charter airline pick up a fire truck and move it themselves physically. And he says, you can do that, really. Like, it would be incredibly uh, complicated and expensive to do it in real life as a visual media, but in audio, it's fine. You can totally just have the listener imagine that. So I think there's a freedom to that, and I think there's, again, the underappreciation of that. And one of the things, and we'll, I'm kind of diving into the Joker's favor, which wasn't my initial... Uh, you know, series of episodes here. I just kind of threw it in because I thought it was a great episode. But Mark Hamill has gotten, rightly so, great praise mm. for being the Joker and his talent with that. And part of it was because after Luke Skywalker, people couldn't really imagine him being something else. But as a voice actor, he could be whomever he wanted him to be. So there's that freedom. Um, even Dwight Schultz, who played Murdoch in the team, which... Mr. Uh, Barkley. Like, yeah, a very corny, cheesy way. He's way more talented, I think, than some people would give him credit for for being affiliated with quite this show. But he's, been, <laughs> he's found success as a voice actor, at least a steady paycheck as a voice actor, because you're not being boxed in by who you were in this very, you know, mainly identifying role. 
So people have found freedom in that and being able to really stretch their range. And as voice acting, they've taken it very seriously in Batman the Animated Series. Andrea Romano treated everyone as if they were an actor in the visual media. Who's Andrea Romano? A genius. Yes. She's the director for the voice acting. Okay. Yes. Tell us some of the shows that Andrea Romano is the director of the voice acting. Every single the Warner Simpsons. Brothers. <laughs> the Simpsons, really? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You didn't know that. I did no. not, I did I not know that. I did not know that. The more I you know. know. Yes, the more I know. <laughs> we need a little, a little star. Yeah. Right well. now, yes. Okay, so, all right. Yes, yeah, so, yes, yeah, so they have trained voice actors, uh, and they have treated them, actually, they treated the uh, recordings of these episodes in a radio play style, where a lot of times, even in animated movies, they have the voice actor isolated, and they're just reading their lines, and that's as much as what they think the person needs. When in fact, when you're a proper actor, you're just used to bouncing off your other actors and feeding off that energy. And a lot of times, that's not the way it happens. But for the Batman animated series, it did. They had them all in a room for as much as they could. They all just sat around and they uh, absorbed each other's energy. Apparently, Mark Hamill had made a point of standing up and uh, reading all of his lines because he just kind of need that explosion of energy, of energy as yes, the Joker. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Kevin Conroy came up with. We actually discussed this with our last meeting, but Kevin Conroy came up with the concept of using a different voice for Batman versus Bruce Wayne and his genius. Yes, exactly. And it was funny that nobody else had thought of this, but he said, look, he said, this guy is a popular figure. He would be in the society pages. People know who he is on site. And he puts on a cowl and nobody knows who he is. <laughs> so, so, I mean, it's kind of the, the whole conceit of, you know, so, you know, Clark Kent in the pair of glasses. It's like, oh, God, I didn't know you were Superman. Although there was some canon stories where it's like, no, he can actually, you know, alter your perception where he looks a little bit different. But at the same time, you're like, how can this one physical, you know, uh, you know, detail alter, like, your realization that this is actually the other person. But, so he did that too. He asked if he could play with voices between Batman and Bruce Wayne. So I think he's probably the first actor who actually did that. And then, of course, was kind of maybe brought to parody by uh, Christian Bale. To <laughs> <laughs> exaggeration. Well, no, and they also do it yeah. uh, in... Uh, with, well, Batman versus Superman. Let's not even talk about it. But uh, what about... Um, yeah. The uh, Suicide Spot. Oh, let's not even talk oh, about it. I know. I love it. <laughs> but Batfleck <laughs> has a voice mod- modulator, modulator as well yes. on his suit. Yeah. So, no, um, yeah. Can I just like, yeah, jump yeah. in just for a of second? Of course. And you um, can jump in anywhere even. Yeah. <laughs> well, you also have two minutes to jump in. Okay. I just want to say <laughs> I think it fits along with the mm-hmm. feel and the pastiche of the show because it, it's played like a, a radio show. Yes. And that's like kind of the – I mean, b- technically this is before – television um like that look and feel that you're trying to like allude to with their the style of the show itself so when you have like those voice actors and voice acting is way harder than people would actually think yes. it's way more difficult um because you have to match your voice with animation and a lot of um voice acting they didn't have the animation to go with it until no. they started syncing and they had to like make sure that the voice is synced with um the animation and they itself. would re-record sometimes. And they would re yeah. yeah, they would do the, what they call it, um, recording after fact or something like that. It's a specific name there for it. There is a name. If yeah. any animated yeah. nerds are out there, yeah. they can, like, call us on this. But, um, yeah. yeah. So, to me, it's it just, like, it brings everything together. Like, uh, I 
John Vernon, who voices Rupert Thorne, is like a notorious 1970s villain. And he brings that villainy to Rupert Thorne. It's like oh, that yeah. acidity to it. And it is amazing. And it makes the experience of watching this show even better. Yeah. Also, Andrea Romano, too, to bring it back, also, when it, she changed it up where she preferred working with actors who had theater backgrounds yeah. versus yeah. straight up voice actors, um, which I thought was an interesting little. Yeah, and they've definitely credited her with bringing that, I guess, sensibility to the show yeah. and making it what it was. Because again, I think that even voice acting is probably an underappreciated art, but working with people who are used to performing for an audience who's there mm -hmm. presently, I think can make a difference. And uh, and recording in the room like, together. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like well, a lot acting. of theater yeah. people, because, because they couldn't find uh, work <laughs> anywhere yes. else, yeah. they went to radio. Yes. So it, it all comes full circle. It does, yeah. Because as somebody who, you know, of course, watched cartoons as a child and grew up uh, with that, you can definitely tell the difference between somebody who is just performing the role as, I'm angry now, I'm happy now. Yeah. And somebody who is bringing it as if they're speaking to you and you can see every expression, every movement. That and so you get Mel Blanc and it's yeah. like, holy like, crap. Well, even Mask of the Phantasm, like, Yo, there is some deep emotional, oh, yeah. like, yeah. freaking yeah. moments in that, and it's... Again, That's going to be the surprise at the end yes, but, yeah, of the rainbow. Um, in front of you. Let's it's, move on from voice acting. Um, oh, I'm next. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, I, my topics that I... So one person each week is lucky enough to get two homework assignments, which is me. <laughs> and I have uh, mental illness and feminism. <laughs> For those who can't see, Beth rolled her eyes so hard, they went in the back of her head and came out of her mouth. Yeah. So, well, I mean, uh, all right, let's just get started here. I'm just going to, I'm going to go uh, start with, uh, I'm going to start with feminism first because I actually kind of comboed what was going on in the Harvey Dent two-parter, two-face two-parter, and Joker's favor which is, um, and something that Batman the Animated Series does over and over again, which is playing with gender roles, which is like a, a big part of feminism, especially hot topic today. So, so basically I read, I have just one essay that I'm calling from that I recommend. It's free online if you wanna read it. It's called The Performative Act and Gender Constitution, an Essay in Feminology and Feminist Theory by Judith Butler. Um, so basically how we are playing with um, gender roles is, is masculine, feminine, and we're dealing with the binary in both these episodes. So the first, I'll start with uh, where I pulled it from, the Harvey Dent two-parter. There's a lot of gender role play going on, but we have Candace is, uh, I love Candace. Candace <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> She's Rupert Thorne's assistant and um, consistently playing with gender roles throughout the episode to manipulate Harvey Dent's girlfriend and, and to um, bring in the recorder. Like that was a really uncomfortable scene because it kind of like harkened to like perhaps like she has an abusive partner and she's like trying to bring, like call the police on him and report this person. It's a very vulnerable type of situation between someone who's being the abuser and someone's being abused. Um, and and she just like, as the, the uses her femininity as the female police officer to gain the trust of Harvey Dent's fiance in that moment. And then there's a moment um, in that episode when everybody's in the giant, there's a huge brawl, all the men are fighting. 
and uh, she's sitting on a desk just watching like the chaos and she's watching all this like raw like masculinity and she just goes wild and she's just like <laughs> loving watching she's not like she's enjoying the show um, so that was just like one pool that I would get from the Harvey Dent two-parter um, and then the genius stroke of playing with gender roles of course comes from the Joker so the way that the Joker like is able to infiltrate the um, the uh, Jim Gordon's like you know the like yeah giant. yeah thank you because yeah. like I, that, yeah. you know I gotta tell you when I was watching this episode I was like how am I gonna remember how to say that <laughs> <laughs> like what's good like why a bird of okay. prey by the way a bird of prey oh okay. yeah, yeah peregrine okay. is a bird of prey oh, yeah. Which is um, also a DC Comics comic line with all of the Gotham true. ladies. Plug, plug, plug. In any case, so what they do to infiltrate this party is Joker sets up Harley Quinn to look like a stripper coming in dressed as a police officer wearing a skirt and a giant cape. And so everyone's like, at first, even like Bullock, of course, plays right into it. And also, <laughs> side eye Montoya, that entire Woo! scene. Yeah. Montoya is high five in Montoya. She um, has no lines in it, by the way. No, it's just all all throwing shade, all throwing shade, side eyeing and everything. So, and um, everyone's like allowing this to happen. They're they're because they just assume like, oh well, okay, yeah, this is. Jim Gordon, top guy, you know, and in celebration we have someone jumping out of the cake. So, and obviously, you know, Harley Quinn coming in, like, dressed like a strip, well, I mean, not no, necessarily, like but it's like all the... Hot cop. They, they painted a picture. Yes. It was going this, to be a strip party. Hot. Yes, exactly. Like, if that wasn't a ruse, yeah. like... Yeah. yeah. And because... That just gave me a sideways glance yeah. there, right? <laughs> because of all the uh, assuming of what's going on, that is, the Joker is relying on everyone's idea of gender role play in this moment to bring in the cake, and which, of course, at the end, Joker jumps out of the cake. <laughs> And he's got a bomb, and everybody's frozen because they gassed everybody. It's it's really, I mean, the Joker is a genius, a psychotic genius, but which Most I'll get into. Psychotics are geniuses. I mean, yeah, let's, let's I mean, call um, a spade a spade. I can say that. So uh, basically, and the thing is with this again to this article that I read on um, uh, performing gender is basically talking about how our society in general is is plays it, it's, it's, it's a performance. We're all performing our gender. And it's historical, and it's also based in our society. So, I mean, a lot of what you identify as your own gender, um, whether, like, for instance, I'm cisgender, so I identify as a female, but how much is that, how much of that is because of, you know, you know television in itself, or our culture as a whole, that I'm playing into that role to play into a part of society. So basically what Judith Butler is calling to is to think about how we're performing our own genders and how, because of that, we're kind of being, we're, we're not kind of, we're kind of brainwashed into working into this binary. And it gets really complicated because then in, in uh, the history of feminism, we have a lot of feminist writers and theorists are, who are trying to uncover um, 
voices that have been neglected or not heard throughout history, because historically female voices are not a part of written history. It's been, we live in a patriarchy. And so, um, and saying and European that, society. Exactly. Well, or European Western, yeah, yeah, Western. Um, but what we get to today then is how, how do we talk about that without also saying that we're playing into this societal idea of what a femininity is or what even masculinity is. Um, there's also a quote I have here from Simone de Bouvier, not probably, am I, thank you, thank you, Laurel, so you did pronounce it right. Anyway. Very French. De damn it, de Beauvoir. Um, so basically, I didn't go to school, but I read. Um, so you say I'm well read. I'm well read, but I'm not pronouncing things correctly ever because I read by myself. Anyway, French writer, existentialist philosopher, and political activist, and this is a great quote, and it says, one is not born, but rather becomes a woman. Um, so basically, and this is something, um, talking about gender identity as a social construct, this is something Batman the Animated Series does over and over again. Now granted, it's, it's not easy pulling this out of the narrative because we are talking about a uh, rich white male who, you know, uh, dresses the up hero. like a giant bitch. Yeah, and is, is held up as the hero, uh, you know. So, but I definitely think the writers are thinking about this sort of thing. They, they, it, this is the mid to late 90s, and um, Judith Butler, for instance, heyday is in the late 80s, 90s. So I definitely think this was, I, they were doing this on purpose. May I ask you a question? And yeah. And Paul Dini, by the way, who's an amazing writer, wrote Joker's Favor and that whole scene with the that I'm talking, I broke apart, and I love you, Paul Dini. Okay, awesome. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, do you yeah. think there was a conscious um, effort on the creator's part, or it was just something that kind of happened, or or on, you on the Joker's we, plan, or um, in general? Because gender role is like a general. We can say, in, we can say, in, general. We can say in general, and I, I want to put that out there yeah. again because this is a show that is allegedly geared towards children. And how much is that is actually what it is and what we infer as adults, especially watching this now, you know, you said you, you watched the show when you were 12 years old. Mm -hmm. I watched the show when I was... And I approached it like... In college. Oh, toy show. They're just selling toys. Yeah, and it's yeah. like when you go back and, and like, um, I grew up watching like um, old Warner Brothers shorts that I didn't realize were shorts. Um, at the time, and you see, you know, Bugs Bunny dress up like a woman to fool Ellen Fudd into like not killing and eating him, and it's like it totally it's, worked. It, it totally, worked. yeah, and it worked. And you didn't question that as a kid, but when you get to be an adult, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, that's kind of messed up. But like I said, it's like, is it so your conscious? Is. is it conscious, or is it what we bring to the consciousness of the show? that makes these things. Wow, that actually brings me to my mental illness uh, part of my uh, breaking apart uh, the binary. Because I definitely, my favorite part of the, the uh, two-phase two-parter are the dream sequences. They're amazing. Now, we open up, because we covered a lot, and I'll like really quickly do a diagnosis of the villains, because the villains are really where 
they the writers try to get like psychological and talk about mental illness. Again, the writers on the show, myself, and no one on this panel is a psychologist. Um, but we're gonna. It, this is like pop psychology. So, but in any case, we have the two. Now, both the episodes open with a dream. The first part of the of the two parter opens with um, Harvey Dent's uh, dream, and then the second part opens with uh, Batman. So. Now, uh, this made me go want to talk about Carl Jung, who is uh, an uh, analytical... Jung. Jung? Jung? Like Jung, that? Yeah. Okay, Jung. analytical. He, he founded analytical psychology. Um, and basically, that's the importance of the ind individual psyche, symbols, collective unconsciousness, archetypes, all that sort of thing. Um, and we're talking... Basically, complexes are like a core part of... Um, of his psychology, so it's a way of finding patterns that are uh, present in our personalities that come from memories and emotions from the past, basically how your childhood shapes your who you are today. Um, so in splitting it up, uh, we have Batman's dream. Uh, basically what I loved about this is it had a German expressionistic sort of feel to it, like as far as film goes, and that, that landscape, you know, so it's like dark curved edges and um, you know, manipulated shadows in such a way. And um, the themes related with that film genre are madness, insanity, and betrayal. So that's like definitely something Batman's dealing with. Like he's constantly struggling with his own, like he says going over the edge a lot or like looking into the abyss. Like, well, I don't think, anyway, I know over the edge is like a big Batman thing. Um, yeah. So, a, but like basically, because he's always struggling with his own madness and insanity. Um, also, betrayal is another theme of German Expressionist film. And in that dream, he's dealing with, um, you know, he feels he's betraying Harvey by not being able to help him. Uh, one archetype that's in Batman's dream is the bridge. Bridges is, an, is, a, is a common symbol that we all follow. Basically, I hope um, collective unconsciousness is basically uh, all of us taking an idea of something and, and pretty much as a society we all understand it on like this unconscious level of what, what it is and what it means and that's just how we go through life. So bridges, like you think, hey, a bridge, it's about getting to the other side and, and so in that, like Batman's bridge, Batman's main problem is getting over the facts, his, his guilt of um, his parents being shot to death in front of him and thinking that he could have done something to do it's something to have prevented that. So what happens, the bridge breaks, then he's caught on the other side of the bridge, and then he all of a sudden is back again as a 12-year-old boy seeing his parents be murdered in front of him. So he's not able to, He's at that point in his psychological development, he is not able to deal with the guilt of, of that happening. Um, and then in Harvey Dent's dream, what we have is um, a part of uh, Jungian, um, psychology is the shadow. Um, if you watch how the dream opens up, like the, his split personality is this shadow personality. And, and even like the whole part of it, he's struggling and everything's a shadow in that dream. And basically your shadow self is like the anima, the animus, which is we all have a male and female part of ourselves, which is rounding about where we were just talking about. And Carl Jung believed that if you were able to I identify and relate to your anima, your animus, your opposite self, your shadow self, then you would in conscious waking life be a complete whole person. 
So basically, your dreams are like a constant confrontation of those archetypes and trying to understand how to be a happier, more full human being in day-to-day -day life, in your conscious waking life. Um, yeah. So, okay. I'm sorry, because I'm like, I'm, I'm yeah, like your jumping at the bit. It's like, uh, because when you bring up bridges, bridges also yeah. brings together two different places. Yes. Yeah. And when that bridge is destroyed, it's not just Harvey or, yeah, it's it's also Bruce Wayne's inability to bridge his nightlife and his daylife. And it's very stark. That's true. Yeah. And also, again, we, we discussed, he, obviously Batman's true identity and his issue with duality is that he sees himself as Batman. He doesn't yeah. under, Bruce Wayne is... Is the mask. Is the mask. and um, This was so brilliant about yeah. Batman as a character. Specifically you know, yeah. this Batman. This, this... I will die saying this. This is the one media that gets Batman right. This show. This show. Yeah. Um, so then, real quick though, because oh, oh, speaking yeah. <laughs> again, I, I I'm actually just going to cut and just roll into the next thing from that. So, but <laughs> because um, in relation to Carl Jung, as I was getting into that, I also ran into because Carl Jung is a psychologist who actually brought the I Ching into from Eastern to Western. Um, uh, psychology bridge. and uh, basically that's the it's a coin flip that's it's all about chance and I definitely think with the way that they're shaping with the dreams and I mean that that this is I think it's intentional that they're talking about the I Ching here and so th basically it's an ancient Chinese deviation text used mm -hmm. um, it's influential throughout the world uh, trying to like I've never done it before but apparently you take three coins you flip them up in the air, and then you uh, you bring lines together. Like so, if there's two heads, it's like one line. What did I say? If it's more more heads than tails, it's one line. More tails than heads, it's two lines. And through that, it creates um, base. And also, the two lines is the yin. The one line is the yang. Again, we're talking about male, female, yin, yang. Um, obviously, Carl Jung, super into this. Uh, and uh, this, and then people. It's used, what Carl Jung used it in his therapy as a form of, a form of meditation. It's a, it's a point of reflection. Not meant to be like literally live your life this way, but something, something to practice in order to be more conscious with yourself. Now Harvey Dent takes it to a you know, psychotic level, whereas he dictates his entire life based on it. And, the, and that's you know, not Well, that's where the duality comes in. Yeah. You know, and it's like injustice is there are two sides to justice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I forgot which I, I'm, I'm thinking is like um, Egyptian um, God. And it's like um, no, you, go the, or, you go into the, the afterworld. And like, yeah, Anubis. Anubis. He, would, he would weigh and your heart you weigh, to a feather. And, and, and Harvey's a lawyer. And the balance is, and I'm a Libra, so I'm, I take this very seriously. But well, the justice um, statue was in that episode. Yeah, the justice, and it crumbles. It was melting mm -hmm. from to, in the yeah. beginning. That shot where the, the ice sculpture is like melting and like yes. dripping into, oh, beautiful. Yeah, it's and it's beautiful. just like, there's so many allusions to everything that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And again, I have to ask, is this deliberate or is this something that we take away? And I think it's a combination of the yes. two things. Again. This is a children's show. <laughs> it was on at 4 p.m. It okay? was. It was. That's a adult-ish show. No, because G.I. Joe was no on at 4 p.m. No, mom and dad I remember because I had to take my catechism classes 
at, at three o'clock after I got out of school, um, if, if and I, I was butthurt like, about yeah. that. The thing that makes Batman so great is that he is equally as appealing to children as adults. Yeah. It depends on which you level know? of... It did. Yeah. It did. Um, real quick, we're, time, we're, yeah. we're fine on time. I just want to, like, real quick, uh, terms of uh, also literally mental illness, because I talked about Carl Young. I have here uh, road rage, which is technically not a mental illness. But if you are to hit someone with your car while under road rage, like you actually get more penalties versus or an if accident. you shoot and, some and kid so, in a car. So our judicial system is actually starting to take into account the psychological um, effects of road rage, and it's like uh, and also road rage. Guess what country it originated in? Ooh, Germany, ooh, France, United States, United States. United States. <laughs> uh, because it was in 1988. Uh, road swear. rage was first coined in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, there was a rash of freeway sh shootings that occurred, um, and road rage has been since a call to. Um, but in any case, I thought it was something that I mean, I've literally, I've had dry, I ride my bicycle around the city, so I, I deal with road rage like every single day, yeah, and it's really guys, scary. Yeah. Because people with giant cars and they like they'll swerve into me. They'll be so angry. They'll like swerve into me and stuff. It's really insane. I just said insane, but I literally mean it. I'm not like being insensitive. I, I, there's definitely something psychological going on there. Um, stalking. I was uh, wanted to talk about stalking. Only okay. So because this, the Joker, I was like, why is the Joker a stalker? <laughs> Because honestly, if there's a stalker on the show, I think it's the Mad Hatter is stalker. Oh, yeah, Batman absolutely. Batman is a stalker. And the Joker was yeah. stalking just for fun. He's not a typical psychoanalyze as a stalker. Like he wouldn't be the typical um, whatever. But 50% of uh, stalking is the result of mental illness associated with personality disorder, schizophrenia, depression, substance abuse, and a psychotic disorder. Disorder. Now, I think uh, the Joker definitely has a psychotic dis disorder related to antisocial personality disorder. Absolutely. Also, I have narcissistic, oh. narcissistic personality listed here as well. Uh, narcissistic, narcissistic personality disorder. Um, honestly, when I was reading the symptoms, like, really scared me. Because uh, you know so many people like this. Like, well, I know, like, with myself, like, I have, like, a fragile ego. I can't, I can't handle criticism. But the thing is, I, I checked with my boyfriend, and I'm fine. Well, um, well, no, so, there is a psychotic component to narcissism um, disorder. I learned that from Candace DeLong. What? Like, deadly Women. Oh, Deadly Women is so good. I TV. I think okay. Saturdays. I'm plugging for like all these shows. And but basically, show. I think the Joker is a combination of antisocial personality disorder and um, uh, narcissistic. narcissistic. And also antisocial, by the way, uh, it's also it's a sociopathy. So yeah. anyone is a sociopath. There's a difference between sociopathy and Basically, there are people who don't care about others, like breaking the law, like, you know, basically the Joker is that. Um, also, I wanted to side note Harley because Joker's favorite is Harley's <laughs> first episode, and I love Harley Quinn so much. But I I diagnosed Harley as shared psychotic disorder, which Code is dependency, yeah. yeah, it's a person in a relationship who has a delusion, um, and another person adopts to it. Can we so do a Harley spoiler alert with, doing with Harley? That. Yeah, sure. Harley is a psychotherapist yeah. in her yes. real life. Yeah. Which, Which makes is like her I don't think they, um, comment like hilarious. 
Well, I don't think they fully formed her background story at the point in time. Also, because when Batman handcuffed her and she goes, there goes, I, I should have gone to beauty school. Which, if you're being like, I mean, like a throwaway line. You're a psychotherapist, yeah. So yeah, like, you're not thinking like, about beauty school. Yeah, you know? although so maybe I don't think it's fully like, formed yet. You know, I mean, okay, because again, spoiler alert, like every. I think she can't practice psycho. I mean, like, she can't be. Yeah, she like, can't be a psychotherapist at that were you point. Were at that fork in the road where it's like, yeah, it's like, uh, school. Do I not much yeah. of a difference. Right. Closing up. Uh, yeah. We have costumes. Well, we have costumes. I mean, oh, yeah, we're going to take questions from the audience afterwards. We just have, like, we're running over by 11 minutes. Um, anyway, those are mine. Feminism and mentalness. Sorry Who's if I talked too fast. Costumes. John. Okay. So, yeah, um, we were going through, like, the, the topics of what we could talk about, and I suggested costumes, and then I got costumes as an assignment. <laughs> I don't know anything about costumes. <laughs> but then I realized this show is all about costumes. It's, it is everything that this show is, duality, mental illness, feminism, everything is shown and shorthanded in the costumes, right? So... Usually TV shows, a showrunner, showrunner will come up with a series Bible. So I kind of, I, I looked at the series Bible for this show, and I have some, some quotes. Um, Bruce Tim wrote it, uh, along with Paul Dini, and he, he says on Batman himself, appearing only at night, he will use his sophisticated gadgetry, shrewd detective skills, and frightening image to combat Gotham's criminals. Fear is one of the Dark Knight's most powerful weapons, and through his mysterious appearance, he's, he's able to cultivate an almost superhuman image for himself. One thing which we will stress and will make our series markedly different is the fact that, and we talked about this, Bruce Wayne is the disguise and Batman is the true persona. Alfred knows that his master is often uncomfortable with the boorish Bruce Wayne persona, and Alfred's wicked dry wit is <laughs> obvious in the easing of this tension. He might, for instance, Select an array of truly tasteless ties, which I love that. I don't think it really ever came <laughs> That's so the great. Show. I never really noticed that. Ties. I know. But and it's we'll like, because they use the, the same. brown and yeah. yellow. The, yeah, the yellow yeah. shirt with the brown oh, ties. Candace uses, like, we a have suit Alfred to blame for that. When she goes to uh, recruit or give the beeper, which is 1990s uh, technology, a beeper, um, she wears a yellow and brown like suit. When she does it, when she's dressed up like a cop. Interesting. So I, I think the yellow and brown, though, is like, oh, so we cool. always see Bruce, right? And he's usually wearing dark. He's wearing something really dark, like a, a, a black suit or something like that. Or his gym shorts. Or his <laughs> really sexy. Let's talk about Bruce in the gym. That doesn't come happen. until later. We're just talking about my Instagram. It didn't happen yet. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, I've been posting Instagram, and I just got on this kick. Of Can we talk about what brown and yellow represents? Yeah, I will. Yeah, okay. So, aside from UPS, it represents... We're seeing an aspect of Bruce that we don't normally see. Bruce is actually... Well, not Bruce, because he's not real. Batman <laughs> yeah. is actually friends with Harvey. Yeah. We don't see a lot of people that, that Batman is friends with. And... Um, I think that the, the suit is kind of a, this, this, you know, like these warmer colors are kind of a shorthand for how Bruce feels. And I mean, like, honestly, seeing Batman reaching out to somebody in this episode is different. It's really different. And we get this history of them, 
and it kind of informs the way Batman acts. And we actually see him breaking his Batman persona. When, when Harvey gets, you know, blown up, he says his name. And up to that point, he's been saying Dan. He's been calling him Dan in, in that office. But when that happens, he, he breaks it and he says Harvey because he really cares about this guy. Harvey. Harvey. <laughs> no. Coral. Dude, that Sorry. was so good. It was great. Sorry. I oh did, a, did a Walking oh, Dead joke. It was a beautiful moment. Yeah. yeah. And like, I ruined it with a Walking like, Dead joke. Yeah, don't bring Walking Dead on this. So and Harvey himself started. So Harvey's got this expensive kind of off-white suit, right? But the thing that really sets him off, who remembers what sets Harvey off the very first time we see him. Mud on his suit. Mud yeah. on his suit. Yes. 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 It drives him. Handsome Harv can't time. handle it. Can't handle mud on his suit, especially from some basic dude yeah. getting arrested by the cops. Yeah. Um, Rupert Thorne. I'm gonna get through this real quick. <laughs> Rupert Thorne, unlike the other villains on the show, so Rupert Thorne is like a combination of Carmine Falcone and a few other people from the comic books, right? Um, who are like these, who are like these like mobsters, like not supervillains, but mobsters who run Gotham. Um, Rupert doesn't wear his psychosis on his sleeve. He dresses really nice. He doesn't dress like a penguin. He doesn't dress like a black and white cookie. Um, which, by the way, when I was like 12 years old watching this show, this like started my love affair with black and white cookies. <laughs> Never stop. <laughs> um, the psychology never ends. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. With my uh, thoughts on because we discussed this last time was like what era is this actually set in? Yes. And so I'm gonna let you finish your like costume spiel because um, I think we discussed a lot of it was very like 1930s, 1940s. Yeah. Yeah. Visual sensibilities. But when I was looking at Harvey Dent's suit as Two Face, I was like black and white. I'm like Joey Gladstone would totally be <laughs> like that. <laughs> so That's there's a lot of '90s homages in the wardrobe that I can see, in which I won't let you. But I had to interject. I will yes. even say cut that off. Yes. <laughs> it was amazing. You don't have was, to say it. Harvey was pissed off. Yeah. Harvey um, was so pimped out. I expected like hose to show up. At some point, but then I realized it's a children's show, so Hose did not show up. Well, stay tuned. Yeah. Oh. Because. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Anyway, um, Candace. Candace. I love Candace's suit. I oh love Candace's yeah. suit. So Candace. Is, I almost cosplayed as Candace. You should. I love like the red claw. Yeah. Though. This is better. Candace is the lady in red, right, and a brunette, which both of those things mean evil. No offense. Yes. <laughs> That is a stereotype, and it's kind of sloppy narration, I guess. But it's also a short show, so this is all yeah, guys. Mm -hmm. She's totally Jane Russell. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. I did, but that's why you're here again. I am older than most of you. But you know what I love though? I love how her 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 good person outfit was kind of like a combination of Lois Lane and Clark Kent. And she looked like Diana Prince when she was dressed up like a cop. Oh my god. Walk, walk, walk. Which um, we were also discussing when Beth shushed us. You guys <laughs> just got Derek, before Derek, you walked out. So Derek, I was actually just, a, I was just about to say Derek's name. Derek uh -huh. talked about, um, <laughs> wait, where Segway. was it? Segway. Segway to Derek. 
talked about, oh yeah, the animation. Batman himself, his costume, um, we barely see it because there's, there's so little detail on Batman. And actually, and, and I mean, that's intentional because he's dark, right? So Bruce Timm says, uh, I'd worked a bunch of action-adventure shows of TV, on TV before. He-Man. And Tiny Toon Adventures and Animaniacs, I think. But definitely Tiny Toons, which, by the way, was referenced in this show. In this and episode. it is continually. It is. Yeah. Tiny Toons. So every single one of them, I thought, was over-designed, he says. They were trying to impress people with the amount of detail. On G.I. Joe especially, it wasn't enough just to draw a belt on a character. The belt had to have seams and buttons and snaps and pockets. We were like, no, it's going to look like this. This works. And it's just this very minimalist style, and it does work because Batman is... That's comic art right there. Yeah. That's a philosophy It's very streamlined. Yeah. And especially for the show, because it does have that art deco look. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I just want to shout out that I love that Batman wears a helmet when he rides his motorcycle. Safety first. Safety first. first. Batman breaks a lot of laws. But he does not break traffic laws. <laughs> so. so back to what you were saying. How much time do I have? Probably like a minute. Probably like negative ten. Should we end on four twenty? Oh, that's four twenty is perfect no, to end on. I mean, no, keep going. Go I, ahead. I have one more thing. Are to you say. guys tired of, of us yet? Yeah. We, <laughs> I'm tired. One more thing. One more thing, and then we're going to have to question. So I had heard this rumor, and I don't know if it's true, that Harley was created uh-huh. to jump out of that cake. Ooh. And. And I look at that, and, and it, that's not what happened. I'm right? so no, glad no. it didn't. I'm, me too. I'm so because glad that's too. What because it flips the script. Yes, but, yeah, and, script. It, and it answers that question of, was this intentional? Did Zini actually write this intentionally? So Harley, look at what she's wearing. She's kind of playing with She's playing gender. with the hot cop. Like, she is playing like, with gender and it's, it's with the unitard. Yes, it's like, she is. I love the fact that Harley Quinn was created for Paul Dini's friend, Arlene Sorkin, who is an amazing actress and in her, her own right. Yeah. Um, hashtag Days of Our Lives. Calliope yeah. Jones. <laughs> Calliope. Whatever. Also, no, Calliope is an important Greek figure, and Derek can, like, <laughs> give us a little Greek mythology um, on Calliope. I don't know Calliope. Oh. What? Yeah. Uh, here we go. Because so, oh. uh, Derek Jeff dropped the ball. Again. Uh, I know, right? I know. Derek has fumbled the ball twice today. Yes. Um, and I gave him a great that opening. That must have been a really fun wedding that you guys were at. Oh, she, <laughs> I'm right. just teasing. All right. I'm I, done I, talking right, about guys. costumes. Anyway. Well, I, we guess, I guess I'm done. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I would love to open it up to, like, like audience. All right. So, so audience, we're good. Okay. Yeah. Audience, any... Should we, uh, like, bring them a, a microphone or something? Yes. I know. Anybody want to... Um, does anybody have a question? Post I'll bring you a microphone. Questions can contributions. I'll, I'll bring it out. You stay. Uh, your Who's going to be the Oprah? This is, like, sticking to my butt. So. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. No well, one's getting a car. At best, we might have a beer. By the way, talk show age. host call out. Um, it is to laugh, isn't it, Mr. J? Harley and the Joker's favor is from Johnny Carson. Oh, oh I love Goodnight Gracie because that is George Burns. What? Yes! <laughs> Again, because I am older than everybody else here. Okay, Laura, what's your question? Okay, so this is uh, a question. 
Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to explore was the question of why is this series animated at all? Um, and the traditional reason why you would choose an animated series versus a live action film is because with animation it would be impossible. Um, and what strikes me as uh, sort of unexpected about this series is that it, it doesn't always be impossible. It does quite the realistic with the um, emulation of uh, film noir and or that fight sequence where Harvey jumps on the table, right. picks up a 250 pound man and tosses him, right. and then like he's like padal. I don't know what to add to that. One thing that, <laughs> that, was, so, that was just so thoroughly succinct and it was, it was spot on. One thing that, that that we were talking about earlier is what Anne was talking about is what turned Harvey blue, right? Yeah. So, that was a great uh, yeah. Because yeah, it wasn't Joel Schumacher. The, okay. The, the, well, no. So when he got bad like nipples, the, the which is like two years show later, way more expressionistic than the other ones. And the interesting thing is all of the characters get makeovers for the fourth volume, except for Harvey. Harvey stays pretty much the way he is because he's extremely expressionistic already. He basically looks like Dr. Calgary's cabinet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and, and if you look at this, like, so why, are, why is this animated? Because it doesn't work if it's not animated. If you look at Batman Forever, it, they really try to translate they try. this version. It doesn't work. And it doesn't work. But if you look at Well, the Tim Dark Burton's Night, Batmans are great. Right, but I'm sorry, me, but, but, but Harvey, really. Like, oh, but the Harvey no, Dent character. Yeah, no, it's, no, because yeah. he totally is calling to the animated series a little yeah. bit, like a, with color yeah, and stuff, just, and the duality, like, yeah. they do the whole, like, his split apartment scene, but... I would just, like, nah, do nah. Um, a simple kind of, like... Um, a friend in common that we have, um, a friend of, like Art Baxter, 
plug, 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 local cartoonist in Philadelphia. He says, once you put those people in a costume, it doesn't work. This is the only way to take, and for me, animation is the perfect marriage between the written word and art. Mm -hmm. Well, because then there's you, comic art, which is the show what, that's is derived what it is. It from is, the it comics. It is very. Is it is like um, because all right, I'm going to show a little bit more of my nerd cred and says a lot of this is a lot of Alex Toth. Like, if anyone is interested in Alex Toth, Google him and then get back at me <laughs> and said you were absolutely right. Sorry. I see. Okay. I'm a little more cynical because I think a lot of these properties, these endeavors are a marriage between people who genuinely want to take their art and their penchant for doing these sorts of, uh, taking these avenues of storytelling versus like, hey, this movie was an awesome success. We could make so much more money if we... <laughs> oh, that's... Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is the bottom line. This is true. This is what That is the bottom line. But at, and the, where at the end of the day... had, you know, sponsors for different art projects. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's all about so. making money. This it's all about selling toys, but this how do you make yeah. this work? Yes. So the other Absolutely. thing too, yeah. that is a great point, but I would argue the, that point to the fact that they burned money to make this show. Yeah. Like, I mean, no animated series on television at the time spent as much money as Warner Brothers did. Up until syndication and DVD releases, which DVDs <laughs> didn't even exist in 1992. I can attest to that because I was alive. <laughs> but I would say it's like I, all I was of that. Alive, but we still had like a little remote control that was still wired. I had a bank account. I had student loans. Um, I was an adult by government standards in terms of being alive. I was at the time experiencing trauma into um, realizing my full consciousness to today. In 1992. Wow. That is hella deep. By the way, and I'm I gonna, was, meaning I'm gonna, I was 11. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go like that. Okay. Seriously, anybody like any other questions? Seriously, I mean, we want to be. Come on up. Come on up. Yes or no? No. Because yes. yes. we can't hear you. We can't hear you. Otherwise, we can't hear you. Oh my god, I love Phil Donahue, especially his interviews with Ayn Rand. So beautifully together. How well do you know each other? How did you see each other? Oh, here's like a, it's like a Venn diagram. By the way, as the curator of this event, thank you. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. I don't know. Do you want to put? Do you yeah, answer that is it question? a Venn? No, I mean, part of the Venn diagram. Oh, thank you. That's really sweet. Um, thank you so much. So I mean, it's best all best me. It's all that. She's the no, keystone. That's just um, yeah. the crazy brain behind this operation. Um, no, honestly, it, what I love about fandom in general is you bring a diverse group of people, doesn't even matter. I'm not saying we're all so different here. But, uh, and you... And, we're all fans of the show. And then that's just naturally how the conversation evolves. And it's also another, if you want to explore fandoms in anything, like online, I mean, the conversation just goes and goes and goes and goes. And it melds just naturally together based off our love on the topic. Um, we originally met, first off, a first 
originals. We have John McCabe and Ann Cornell, our originals here, yeah. and uh, they're OGs. And uh, we did Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm so butthurt that you did not invite me for that. <laughs> Basically, I know. Me too. Buffy is my singular jam. Um, because honestly, if you mention, if you bring Joss Whedon into a room, yeah. you're gonna automatically everyone's gonna be best friends and it's gonna work out. Okay. By the way, he's also the director of the upcoming Justice yeah. League film, and we're hoping Shorter. that it will save the series. He's, well, he was fired like after garbage. someone got sick or something. No, Zack Snyder's daughter committed suicide. Let's not talk it's about really this. Okay. Let's not go there. We I just want to point out that that rewatch was when I did cosplay. As yeah. Rupert Giles. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, iCops played throughout every series, so yeah. whatever. Uh, She's amazing, but I mean, if you... But that's basically, that's it. Check yeah. out Beth's um, Instagram. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. yes. I don't know. We met her like, years ago when you did a Supernatural. Yes, by the way. Like, so oh, and how we met. I met Anne. I did a Supernatural prop like, replica props. exhibition. Yeah. So I got in touch with the fandom of Supernatural. It was like, it was Geekadelphia, which you should all read. Yes, and I just read it. I saw it on Twitter, and I said to my friend James, I said, we should totally go see this because of Supernatural, and that's how we met Beth, and and four years later, we're going to Supernatural Con. I love jazz hands. Jazz hands are the best hands. This is also great in, like, sign language. It's like clapping, right? All right. Next question. Next question. Yeah. Each of you, which of these was your preferred favorite show today? Which is a great question. Buffy, Battlestar Galactica. No, Batman. The episodes today, which is our favorite? And why? Oh my god. Of this, I'll go first. Of this episode right. or yeah, like of the entire series? See, I knew that was going to happen. Alright, so I got Not all heroes wear capes. No. Alright, so my my favorite oh, okay. My favorite was um Joker's favorite and the reason why I so when this first aired and I watched it religiously when it was first on, I didn't realize that it was Mark Hamill. You know, I didn't realize it was Luke Skywalker, I was a total Star Wars nerd, so feel figuring that out later on was a huge revelation to me because I, just, I thought like this is such a creepy Joker. He's so creepy, he's got this dark trench coat, and he's standing over this normal guy in the woods that, I mean, one day I'm gonna look like this guy. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that's definitely my favorite. I mean, I, it's probably a, a slightly inferior episode to Two-Face, but damn, he really struck it a chord for me, so. Yeah. Clap if you want to clap. <laughs> or do we can do jazz hands. Jazz hands. Or, you know, unfortunately, um, do we have a platform for like deaf viewers or We should have some tech interpreters that We should. I mean, because yeah. I think that's important too. Jeez, um, yeah. um, of these, the three episodes that we um, featured today, because uh, I don't really don't make a distinction between the two, uh, Two-Face, because I think it's just, I look at it as like one long episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mostly because I am fascinated with uh, duality. I'm endlessly fascinated. And most people don't know this, but I spent my first three and a half years as a psych major in my university career. Um, 
And I was very interested in abnormal psychology. And it kind of like puts everything into place. And that probably explains why I like Batman so much because Batman as a character himself is incredibly screwed up. And his world around him reflects just how screwed up he is. Because I think at the end of the day, it kind of illustrates his worldview as a whole. And for me, the series kind of cemented that um, and it illustrates it in such stark, dynamic, and beautiful ways. And I know that sounds really weird when it comes out of my mouth, but um, I love the fact that you have someone questioning or implementing or delving into facets of yourself that you ordinarily would not want people to know about. And it shows a light on the fact that we all have this in common mm -hmm. and we shy away from it. I often say, you know, our faults makes us much as who we are as our, our successes. And to embrace that is a very difficult thing to do. And I think um, in a weird and abstract way, um, these two parts, two-phase episodes kind of illustrates that. When you deny who you are or deny a facet of yourself mm -hmm. is at a detriment to who you are. You have to embrace the good and the bad because only then can you really accept yourself as a person. So that's my answer to this question. Woo! Um, oh, uh, I, I'm scared. Do you want this one? We're, we got dead soldiers. Yes, I mean, dead soldiers. Okay. All right, all right. Um, so, man, which one? Uh, damn. So here's the thing. Okay. I mean, animation-wise, I, I definitely think the two-faced, two-parter is beautiful. And I like that. I like that episode more for that reason. There's a bunch of like, so, I mean, at the the very end of the the two-parter, uh, the the second part of the two-parter. I'm not like being Harvey Dent here, but um, <laughs> is when like I mean, you know, Batman goes maybe a little luck, a little chance is important. He flips a coin, like wishing for Harvey, Harvey's recovery into the into a fountain, which is like something you know we all do like make a wish into a fountain and the animation at that point when the coin hits the water and then Batman's looking at his own reflection and it's disappearing in the ripples of the water and then it comes back in again and he walks away are you kidding me oh my god so like there's like moments of that then there's also what you were talking about when lady the, the ice sculpture of lady justice melting into like a buffet of food like man so there's moments like that where I'm just like, and, and today getting the opportunity to see that on the big screen, I was freaking out today. I was like, that's why I was shushing you guys. I was like, this is amazing. Um, but with Joker's favor, we got, it's a Paul Dini written episode who I love, Harley's uh, first Harley episode. And Harley is like, as much as I was like, oh, some of her background wasn't completely written yet, it seemed like. But she is so complete as a character immediately, and everyone fell in love with Harley Quinn oh, yeah. from that episode yeah. on. And also, Harley Quinn, Quinn again is a character invented from the animated series, not from the comics. So she's, you know, a, Batman. I mean, um, in a '66. Hold on, hold on. Which is Batgirl? Bat 
I know, I know, right? So, in any case, that's why I like Joker's favor, and also Joker is like my favorite villain. So it's like, and also, Joker's favor is actually my favorite. Yeah, I mean. God damn it! Oh! Oh! I can't pick. Look how nailed by the audience, Beth. I am Red Claw, and I do what I want. I choose both. Wow! Wow! I don't know how I can top that. So, I mean, I definitely think this is is technically better. Like, I think it is a better piece of storytelling. I think it's, well, it's better uh, from a pure artistic, how it's executed. I think it is superior in all of the tangible metrics. However, if the question is, what's my favorite? It's obviously, for me, the, the episode with Joker's favorite. Yeah. That's my favorite. <laughs> and, and the reason, and the reason that it is clearly my favorite is one, Mark Hamill is just yeah. transcendent as the Joker, and I think he solidified his Joker in that episode. And you don't have good Batman without good Joker, and I think that's where we see that. And the other reason is I love superhero mythology, and so often in superhero mythology, the regular, common, boring motherfucker of the world. <gasps> oh, <laughs> Yes, we were doing really well. Up until Derek asked. So the regular common person is usually not present, and 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 typically we see superheroes extol the virtues of common folk in how they want to destroy and defeat the villains because they want to protect them. This story is about a common person inadvertently, randomly being interjected into the superhero. And we see the temptation of darkness, we see his fall, we see that he actually holds on to a uh, like sort of general societal version of moral goodness at the very end when we think he's going to become a Joker-like character, which I thought was brilliant. So I don't think it's the better episode, but it's definitely my favorite. And yeah. favorite I'll echo that because this was my lecture, this is my second lecture. <laughs> I made the choices, so I do think I like all three of these episodes, and again, because I'm different, and it came into this, like, literally within the last few months, so different from you guys who have had different perspectives and have years to enjoy this series or appreciate it from different vantage points, because when you're, it's like, say, you know, I mean, like, Beth and I are pretty much the same age, so, like, you saw it when you were I didn't even know. I'm, like, yeah. 21. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know which one of us is targeting both of us. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're still gonna pretend we're twenty. Yeah. Here. Yeah. But yeah. So I mean, but that's saw like forever twenty-one. Different age, yes, yeah. than I did. So, and I will say, you know, as a as so a I'm person, surprised. Like, yeah. It's I just for whatever reason I think maybe I like knew that it was on, but for whatever reason that just wasn't part of my viewing habits or consciousness. Um, did so you watch animated stuff? I did, yeah. Yeah, maybe not okay. Like, yeah, not was it Jim and the Hologram? Like, like, I was like, really Julia Rangers. Yeah, like, between years, like maybe, it's like, oh, maybe God. I was like, I was younger, and like, toward the tween years, I was like away from it, which was kind of its heyday, so that was different. Um, and I think there's certain things when you're a kid or when you're a you know, younger teenager that just don't hold up over the years, so it's interesting. <laughs> this does. Yeah, but, so and this does. I mean, people 
weren't even part of this lecture series when I told them I was doing it. Like, oh, it's such a good show, and I love it. I was just so great. So there's that. So for me, coming at it from an adult's perspective, it was very episodical, which TV has moved away from a lot, a lot of the time. Like, there's definitely like oh, a bigger commitment to having a through line, to having more uh, continuity and cognizance of that. So it was an adjustment getting back to that. And Two Face was probably the first episode where I was like, okay, this is very, this was stronger than some of the other episodes I saw in the first series as Amazon's broken them up was very great <laughs> to a lot of the villains and this is probably the strongest one I had versus you know Crocker versus Scarecrow so I liked this episode and then Joker's favorite was really the first one first episode where I thought I get I get why people love Mark Hamill as the Joker I get why people like this even Harley's first introduction as a character I thought was really intriguing and strong and especially Getting into season two with Poison Ivy and Harley, which is it's probably my favorite. Oh, House and Garden, well, yes. it's Ivy centric, but yes, it's um, when I really appreciate a lot of the voice acting, a lot of what the actors bring to it. Because again, I think it's kind of a lot of the episodes are self-contained. And they are supposed to stand on their own, which makes sense for the way TV was structured at that time and the audience that they thought they were gearing themselves towards. Sometimes, like, I think there was a battle between respect for the audience and, like, oh, they're kids, whatever, let's just do this. So, I think. No, there's there a lot a, of circumventing uh, yeah. with these shows. And yes. until this very day, I mean, because I think this is the, the foundation for a lot of animation that you see today. Especially like on Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon. Yes. So yeah. So for we me, should never yeah. ever do. And by that, I say we should totally do. Hey Arnold. <laughs> oh my God, I love Hey Arnold. Hey Arnold. Yeah, I would be okay with either one of them. Yes. Okay. All right. Favorite episode, two part. I know, but yes, two actually, face. Joker's favorite is probably my favorite, even though because you, I remember when we were talking, face, you like yeah. just added, and I was like, I know. Yes, because I was like, Two Face probably most accurately represents a lot of the narrative through line, which was the introduction of these villains and, and technically, them. yes, it's amazing yeah. technically, episode, absolutely. Yeah. And Joker's favorite was the first one where I was like, the, this series has arrived. This series has found its voice, and even though it might not be to the you know caliber of what people might think of Two-Face. I, for me, it was why people enjoyed it. So now, okay, yes. so we have a lot of Joker's favor. So Joker's favor or Laughing Fish? Oh, Laughing Fish. Oh. Laughing Fish, totally. Yeah, that's, I, that's I will a still a say Joker's favor episode. for this. You know what? I, I you know what? Fish. You know what? Oh, yeah. Laughing Fish you know what? is now from the comics. I'm going to say, because, again, we have Gotham. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Everyday <laughs> Gotham. No, we have Everyday Gotham yeah. versus... We're at Gotham, and it's just like which is the abandoned amusement park, the abandoned tropical fish aquarium, yes. the yeah. abandoned yeah, the settings alone. The set, yeah, and it's, and it's just like an everyday, every man story. It's like an, an um Firefly. It's literally um an episode of Firefly. Firefly was called, really nominated in our voting. Yes, it was. It was. Oh well, of course. We won't go into that, but no, it's like that. Um, the perspective that you don't usually get. In these shows, because it's all about um, Batman versus the villain, and here you have an everyday guy going through an everyday thing with the fucking Joker. Uh, okay, oh, I, I owe you guys some. I, I opened up Pandora's box. Yeah. So no, okay, I'm, well, let's like round it up here. Any other questions? 
for no, today. You okay. Just oh, oh, thank you. Yes. Well, we hope that you join us in the future for the next. And show. please come back next I actually, week. I can't believe this is day one. So much. Yeah. So much is like. Uh, I am so happy. Because um, I hated Battlestar Galactica. We know. Oh, we yes. about so very much. We know. And now I get to talk about things that I actually love. Yeah. I am so here for this. I'm okay. really happy you love it. I just had to say, I think we, we, BSG was like totally perfect timing for what it was. country yes. was it going was. through and what that was about. And if you go to Vox Populi's um, iTunes channel, you can listen to our BSG conversations because we talked about like war on terror, post war on terror, America, United States, what it was. We talked about an election and science when Trump got elected. How, yeah, like how it should be in a bizarro universe, but here we are. We gotta stop. Okay, so uh, that's it. That concludes uh, season one of Batman the Animated Series, our topics and discussions and roundtable. Thank you for listening. I think I said that in the beginning, but hey, you made it to the end, so thank you again. And then uh, coming up this Sunday, October 15th at More College Bar and Design, we will be screening episodes Cat Scratch Fever and Tiger Tiger, centering our lecture around Catwoman, everyone's favorite uh, character, at least mine, anyway. No, it's really, it's everyone's favorite character. So uh, we hope if you live in Philadelphia, you come and join us. And already, uh, 1 to 4 p.m., that's right, that's the time. Okay, bye.